Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. This is Jillian, and I'm going solo on today's podcast. Riley's actually out of town, but we'll be back next week, so don't worry, she will be back. First and foremost, I hope everyone is staying warm out there here in Florida. It has been so cold, and it has even snowed in Tallahassee. It's so crazy. Um, I have been bundled up for days. My space heater has been on nonstop, and you better believe that the coffee has been flowing, and my mug is constantly full to keep my hands warm 24-7. So everyone grab your warm beverage of choice this week and give a big mugs up. Mugs up, everyone. I'm actually virtually cheersing all of you because, like I said, it's just me in the studio today. So don't forget to post your fabulous photos of you listening to the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Tag at the Dysautonomia Project and use the hashtag MugsUp. Just a little FYI, we did receive our very first tag on Instagram from an amazing follower and fan of the podcast. We are so excited that we are receiving great feedback so far. Of course, this podcast is a work in progress, but thank you for being so patient and supportive of Riley and me. We really want to incorporate more personality into the podcast as well as give you the best information we can about POTS. So I hope you continue to follow us and grow with us. Um, Just to refresh your minds, TDP is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to educate physicians, patients, and communities about dysautonomia. I really hope all of you enjoyed last week's podcast with Morgan Boykin, who is former Miss Tampa. Her story is so amazing. She is such a sweetheart. You know, I'm so blessed to be able to do what I do and meet so many fabulous people each and every day. Um, Today's podcast will actually be comprised of a little throwback and will be a little shorter than usual. Today's interview has been pre-recorded and was actually my very first successful podcast interview. So basically, this interview prompted the start of the podcast. In this interview, I spoke with Dr. Kamal Chamali, who is a neurologist in Norfolk, Virginia. Dr. Chamali was great to speak with. He works in a very interesting line of work. So aside from being a neurologist, he is actually an autonomic specialist and works in music therapy, which to me is so cool and extremely unique. So I hope you all enjoyed this podcast with Dr. Kamal Chamali. All right, we are sitting with Dr. Chamali, neurologist and autonomic specialist here at the American Autonomic Society Symposium in Clearwater Beach, Florida. So Dr. Chamali, what is your background? Can you give us a little more information on what you do on a daily basis? So I'm a neurologist and uh, I do mainly clinical uh, neurology. My practice is almost 100% autonomic from the clinical side. On top of that, I'm a neuromuscular specialist, so I do a lot of uh, EMGs. Um, That's the rest of my clinical practice, and I have about 30% of my time that I uh, do music therapy in neurological rehabilitation and uh, using music uh, in the treatment of certain neurological diseases. Wow, so here at the American Autonomic Society Symposium, What do you hope to gain or what have you gained um, that is useful for you in your practice? Oh, it's always very nice to mingle with colleagues of similar interests and uh, look at uh, different uh, new research that's uh, coming up. Uh, This is very high level research. So we come out of here every time with new ideas, uh, new information and uh, mainly ideas for future projects and research. 
So you said that you use music in your practice. Um, how do you do that or how does that help the patients that you see? So music uh, intuitively has been known for ages to be useful uh, for health in general. So now we're at an age where we could prove this intuition as being uh, uh, scientifically valid because we have the tools to look for that. And um, what we have noticed is that, first of all, our brains are hardwired for music. We are musical creatures even if we don't know it. And this is evident when we look at babies, mm. newborns, how they react to music, even preemies, uh, how they react to music. So um, now what do you do with that later? Do you develop it or you let it uh, die or go or become stagnant? That's up to you and your upbringing. Mm -hmm. So music, contrary to all other forms of arts, has a representation in the entire brain. And that's what's makes, what makes its strength. Because if we can activate all the pathways that music uses uh, to be integrated by the brain, we could reactivate a lot of damaged areas of the brain. So going from this principle, we know that we can reactivate uh, areas that have suffered from stroke, for example, and resulted in language deficits. Uh, or other diseases like Parkinson's disease and resulted in gait disorders, multiple sclerosis that has resulted in spasticity and gait disorders as well, but also uh, dementia, uh, chronic pain. And now the new thing that I'm trying to uh, look at is can we use music in the treatment of certain autonomic disorders, mainly postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and orthostatic hypotension, mm -hmm. uh, by trying to either decrease uh, orthostatic heart rate or decrease the drop in blood pressure when people stand up. Wow, so do you see um, different types of music that make a different impact on these patients or what types of music have the biggest impact? Yeah, that's a very important question at the same time very difficult to answer uh, because you know I get very often this type of question what type of music should we use? Mm -hmm. Should it have to be necessarily classical? Right. Or can it be rock? Or can it be rap? Or can it be techno? Or can it be uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, popular dancing, music, etc. So I think the question is really beyond that. First of all, music is not a generic term, uh, meaning that music has components right. to it and it has parameters melody, tempo, harmony, rhythm, uh, pitch, uh, timbre. Uh, instruments even uh, playing the piano the emotion that you get from that is not when you listen to a violin playing right? right so all these factors make it extremely difficult knowing exactly what type of music you want to use not talking about uh, cultural backgrounds uh, personal liking or disliking uh, habituation to certain music I mean, if you listen to the same music 15,000 times you're not going to react with if the same way if you listen to it the for the first time. Right. So these 
are to be taken into consideration. So what I'm really uh, trying to look at is the effect of the main parameters. Well, what's the effect of a melodic line? Mm-hmm. What's the effect of uh, harmony, dissonant versus consonant? What's the effect of tempo, fast versus slow? Uh, what's the effect of certain instruments, if we can? Okay, for example, when I do some, my research, I try not to mix too many uh, instruments together and keep it uh, uh, limited to, to one, uh, like for example, piano or orchestra or something like this. So that's, um, that's what I'm trying to do uh, in my research. Now, once you know what the effect of each parameter is, now then you ask yourself, what kind of clinical result do you want to achieve with your patient? Mm-hmm. And then you would go and combine all this knowledge and these parameters and choose the music that uh, corresponds to those parameters and use it for your patient for this particular response that you're looking for. Very interesting. So the patients that you typically work with, are they pediatric patients? Or what is your main demographic? No, I am an adult neurologist, so basically I deal with adults. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Very interesting. So if you could share one thing with our community-based physicians about autonomic medicine or research that you're doing, what would that piece of information be that you could give to them? Okay, so since the music is still a work in progress, I'm going to... uh, you asked me about the autonomic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is still work in progress. Now, we have musical m- miracles happening, but with other fields, you know, stroke, Parkinson's, gait, etc. Uh, but your question is about autonomic. So for this reason, I'm going to switch a little bit uh, gears here, move away from music, okay. and talk about uh, some of the success stories that we've had with POTS patients, for mm-hmm. example. Okay, so this is a a large number of patients that I see in my practice and so POTS is uh, the fact of raising heart rate uh, more than what normally should be so we go with 30 beats per minute uh, within three minutes of standing up and this is associated with a lot of symptoms uh, but the main ones are the orthostatic intolerance, meaning feeling dizzy, lightheaded, presyncopal or syncopal mm-hmm. uh, when people stand up. Okay. And uh, th- the question is, how do we treat these patients? So there are two types of treatments that are used. Either you treat them conservatively, meaning you expand your blo- their blood volume, you prevent their blood from pooling into the lower extremities, and you see if this helps their symptoms or you treat them uh, symptomatically with medications, uh, meaning that you expand artificially their blood volumes by having them take certain medications, such as fludrocortisone, for example, or constrict their peripheral vasculature by having th- taking medications like Midodrine, uh, things of that sort. Uh, so we could stop at that and say well this is what we can do generally the results with that is are not great mm-hmm. now the alternative would be to go and dig further and say is there a reason why these patients have POTS is there a potentially treatable and reversible cause that we could look for and this necessitates a huge workup in the blood mainly so we generally look for 25 different things 
in the blood to see if we can look, find something that is potentially treatable. And once we have found something like that, then instead of treating the symptoms, then we, you go and target the core cause, hoping that this will create a symptom improvement. And I think this is the approach that has paid the most. Mm -hmm. uh, and those causes could be variable from impaired glucose tolerance to uh, B12 deficiency to autoimmune disorders to infectious disorders and each one of those has a separate core treatment. So uh, th this is where I'm getting most of my success in treating these patients. Now, in addition to that, of course, you have to continue treating symptomatically. It's not that it's either or, but uh, sometimes treating symptomatically when there's an underlying cause that you have not uncovered and not treated is not going to help you on the long term and even make your symptoms worse uh, down the road. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. We hope we can schedule maybe a podcast in the future with you um, to reach more of our patients, community, other physicians that are interested in learning more about your music research and um, working with patients. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's and my pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. I really hope all of you enjoyed this podcast with Dr. Chamali. I'm so happy that you all finally got to hear this interview. It's been a long time coming. It's so full of great information. And Dr. Chamali was just so knowledgeable and great to chat with. Remember, if you haven't already, please like our page on Facebook, The Dysautonomia Project. Visit our website at www.thedysautonomiaproject.org if you would like to see more about what we're about, buy a book, or donate to our organization, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are in the process of upping our social media game, so you definitely don't want to miss out. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening and for putting up with me doing this podcast by myself without Riley. I can't wait till she gets back next week. Um, but next week, we will be talking to Emily. She is a POTS patient, and we are looking forward to hearing her story. So catch us next Friday. Bye.